let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions and we're back in your ears once again. The beer is in the glass and we're ready to go. But we're not alone this week, are we, Martin? No, we're not indeed. Um, I just say, Jim from Abbeydale, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. No problem at all. Um, I don't know about you, Steve, but we poured the beer about 30 seconds before we started recording. I need Jim to introduce it at high speed so I can get into it. Jim, what's the first beer you've suggested we do tonight? So we're starting from the beginning of the brewery 25 years ago and starting with Moonshine. It's the classic. It's the it what it's what keeps the lights on and uh, it's uh, ever popular in Sheffield. Looking forward to it. Cheers. 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 Right, off you go. You just start talking. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy my moonshine. Um, how, how long has it been in can now, Jim? Um, so we... We started putting moonshine into can um, about two weeks into the first lockdown, um, which is when we received our canning line. Um, we'd always planned to put the core beers into can, but when we'd, but over a period of time that would have been probably over about a year and a half or so, and we'd steadily steadily release a beer um, over that uh, one of the core beers over that time. But the canning line came in, um, the pub shut at about the same time. So it was like, well, we've got lots and lots of beer in um, in CT. We've got lots of beer in Fermenter. And it was that point that we started moving a lot of the core beer into um, into can. But we'd already um, we already had the cans on order and they were there ready to go pretty much as soon as the pub shut, which was fortunate um, that we had everything kind of in line. But really, it was never intended. Like, overall, um, it wasn't until we had all the control in-house that we that Pat, the owner of the brewery, um, and who first set up the brewery 25 years ago, wanted to actually put the beer. He only wanted to put the beer into can or into package if we could control the circumstances in which it went in, um, which is why he'd never done it really before um, we could start packaging in-house. Was there any, uh, was there any nervousness about, of, of all the beers to put in cans, was there any nervousness about doing moonshine? Yeah, the, the, there is. and there, Well, there has to be about everything. There's always a nervousness that uh, the, the way that anything is going to be received. But when it's been a cask institution in Sheffield for the last 25 years, for it suddenly to change and not even have a grace period of um, 500 mil bottles that it might have had, that some beers have had in the meantime, that could have happened 10 years ago, um, as a interim where people who where that's where people who drink traditional cask beer generally see their cask beers being served at home is in a bottle and we've been able to have it in going straight into 440 mils um, was part of that kind of concern that there might be people who have gone who've been drinking a couple of pints of, of moonshine every night for the, the, the past 25 years and now seeing it on in, in Canon in a shop. Um, yeah, there's worry about what people are going to say, but generally overall it's been received really well. Um, and that, I think that's partially due to our presentation of it. We don't carve it particularly heavily. Um, so we don't, we generally force carve the beer, but in can, um, 
as opposed to in cask, obviously. It's not forced carbon. There's a natural carbonation that happens on secondary conditioning. Um, and then it's pulled through a sparkler, as it always should be, and kind of <laughs> life and condition. And Getting early yeah. with that. Getting early yeah. with that, Jim. I'm waving Paul. a flag. And <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, like, that's the kind of condition and body that 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 people expect and hope and and a slightly lower carb than people would expect or about where they should expect it. We want to kind of represent and hold something similar um, to what it, to what you get in, in a pub. Um, so we do carb a little bit less than we do with some beers, but that's the kind of get as close to, we can as a pint, um, even though you, you're getting the 120 mil, less than a pint but yeah there's always that nervousness that that people are going to receive it in the way that we want it to and and there's a nervousness that it's going to come out how we how it should be served so yeah there's there's always that concern um but as i say it's kind of generally been pretty well received and we're still selling a reasonable amount of it so that's a good sign it's it's great that people can get it at home to drink now. It, it it really is, and I mean it it presents itself. It's it's a classic pale ale, is isn't it? it? It it's it's light. There's lots of citrus notes in there, and then there's a lovely dry bitterness at the finish. Um, Four point three percent. I'm assuming that's exactly the same on 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 cask, or is there a difference in ABV on cask? No, it's the same. Um, the ABV is the same. The the recipe is the same. The, the process is the same. Um, over the, so it used to be so it's a single hopped Willamette Pale that um, Pat brewed. It was the very first recipe that he brewed at the at the brewery twenty five years ago. Um, it was also the first brew that went down the drain because uh, it wasn't what he wanted um, during that brew day. The Yorkshire the, the local water authority turned up and ended up spoiling the spoiling the hop stand so it came out with massive bitterness and massive astringency but that's the nature of starting a brewery and being on your on your your first brew day um and then things have changed over the years but that's the way that hop crops have changed over the years mainly it's pretty much always been um local amarisota as the base grain and a little bit of tarified wheat just for the head retention so that's stayed the thing that's changed is the accompanying hops to back up and bolster uh, the Willamette. Um, and I think that's like Willamette's over is a, an American import hop. Um, and over the years, as things have changed, a mixture between hop farming, um, hop growing and harvesting, the improvements of, of um, hop flavour have changed. So now in kind of cask beer people know what hops taste like and know when kind of know where things are and so there's a mixture between changes of people's hop perception um there's a there's hop creep which is people's perception well there's hop creep there's people's perception to hop flavor has changed and the hop crop itself is completely different to where it was 25 years ago so other things are now in there to bolster there's a bit of um citra and uh centennial and chinook just to kind of uh, uh, to add the backbone um to keep that bit of florality and florality to keep the the flavor of uh of everything going um 
so yeah but it, basically it's that it's the same abv same starting gravity same final gravity it's just we've tried to keep the essence of what moonshine is the essence of moonshine and what what percentage of of your output does does moonshine make up because you, you serve a very local market in sheffield um and obviously you're now putting it into cans as well how how many times a week are you are you brewing this so we still so things are always fluctuating and the percentage of the percentages generally are fluctuating at the moment because things are still massively up in the air there's no consistency in people in the numbers of people that go to go to pubs so it's very difficult to predict that how much we actually need to make but at the moment we are still brewing about where we about the same amount as we were um before covid so we're brewing brewing it five times a week and we brew in total seven seven times a week so yeah so four to five times a week and brewing seven times a week so it's like it's still over half of generally generally half of what we we make and therefore what we sell in terms of volume it's pretty impressive for one beer considering how wide the variety of beers you 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 have on on your output these days so moonshine is is definitely the base i think you said it at the start it's what keeps the lights on it's what pays the bills it presumably is what gives you the chance to do some of the other stuff that you do now yeah it's exactly that um we wouldn't be able to do all the, the kind of whether it's playing a lot with with more hops or playing a lot with with barrels between those things it still needs um a consistent money maker that that, that kind of is the the baseline and the consistent income really for the brewery um and it needs that um so yeah it's that kind of because we're brewing it so often, we can also make it really, really kind of, I'm going to use the word consistent a lot, because that's the point of moonshine really, is that that we want people always to have what is seen as the same pint every single time, whether that's on on cask, um, from pub to pub, and from can. Um, we want it people to, to know that it's always going to be moonshine. And the fact that we brew quite a lot of it means that we can always keep it consistent is that we can if there's any issues with fermentation you can you can mitigate those issues by brewing the next batch slightly different if one doesn't ferment as far you can ferment one further and then you blend because we've always got moonshine in tank we've always got a consistent moonshine flavor all the way through um okay that makes sense because what you're saying is it's about what the consumer gets in their glass is going to be the same experience as the time they enjoyed it before yeah, and like especially with with cast beer, consumer experience is key. Well, especially with any beer, that's the kind of we we make something to be consumed. We need we need drinkers to enjoy the drink all the time. And with moonshine, it is especially important to be consistent with it. If we're brewing something once a quarter, or or once a year, the actual beer doesn't it doesn't really matter how much it changes in between because no one you don't have taste memory um for something that you drank a year ago you've got what you think it tastes like but it doesn't really matter um whereas if you've just had if a pint's just if a a a cask has just kicked on a bar and they've just pulled it pulling the next cask through 
those pints need to taste the same because it, you could be drinking them on the same night. You could be serving them to the same people on the same night. So those things really matter. And that's where Moonshine, the consistency, um, is really important um, for the brewery to, as, yeah, as mentioned, to keep the lights on. And you've kept those lights on now for 25 years. I think you, you, you've mentioned a couple of times, Abbey Dow are 25 years this year, as, as, as we record the show. Um, tell us the, 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 the story, really, of, of, of how the brewery started and how it's grown in that time. Uh, so Patrick Morton, um, before he w- worked in brewing, um, he used to work in his dad's um, scissor factory um, in town. The, the factory building's still there in town, although it's not a factory anymore. So he used to make scissors and like high precision um, machinery and tooling, uh, and then moved in to, moved to work at uh, Kellam Island Brewery. Um, and worked there for four years or so. Um, and as he worked there, he kind of, he didn't learn how to brew. He was always home brewing and he'd been home brewing, I think he said from when he was about 14, although he'll probably correct me and say it was 12. Like he was, he's been making, making beer and alcohol for, for a, a long while. Um, and then, and then he moved to open um, Abbeydale in the unit that we're still in. Um, he had a four and a half barrel kit uh, in '96 that then grew to a ten barrel kit and then to a thirty barrel kit, and in and that kind of happened basically every about every seven years or so. There'd be a massive expansion as to into to kind of what to where we are now, where we've had this kit for I think about about ten to fifteen years, which is a thirty barrel brew kit. But it's a good turnaround, and we can produce a lot of work on it. Um, and in that period, um, we've taken over little bits of um, other units um, in our little industrial estate um, to the point where we now have, oh, I can't remember off the top of my head, the amount of capacity, but we can brew seven times a week, comfortably fill everything, um, and then send it all out. We've grown um, over self-delivery generally which means that we kind of have our own draymen at the moment we've got a team of five draymen who do the majority the vast majority of the the deliveries and and so that means we kind of generally are local um we'll deliver a lot to the uh, yorkshire and derbyshire and the surrounding counties down into nottinghamshire and then kind of semi-regular runs up to um newcastle or down to peterborough or um, to Manchester and Liverpool. And those things kind of are the long runs, but generally everything is served within about a, a radius of 60 miles of the brewery. Um, and at least that's how it's how it was until um, we started doing small pack. We didn't do carbonated beer really up until um, about 2014, 2015. Um, and it was then that we started looking at recipes for um for keg um and eventually we kind of worked one and it ended up being what is now heathen um which is just a mosaic single hopped um like american session pale ale thing um and yeah and then that's kind of grown naturally as well with um 
where we'd brew the, brew the mosaic, what used to be called mosaic and is now called heathen, uh, we'd probably have it from once once every two months or so to now brewing large batches about once a week properly. So those these kind of gradually expanding extra strands to the brewery that as we start to go and look at other modern trends, styles of beer and um, so, well, it's a service method really in that in terms of, of um, heathen and just gradually growing to the point now where we're at the size we are and there's still capacity to grow in where we are, whether that's swapping out fermenters for larger fermenters and um, yeah, maybe a few more staff on the canning line and expanding the canning line. There's there's space for expansion at pretty much every point and it's just picking the right points at the moment. But yeah, we've gradually grown naturally over that 25 year period. Um, all pretty much through self-delivery up until this the past couple of years or so where we're now doing a lot of pallets to places and um and a bit of ebria and more of the online shop which is still only properly working over the past well since the pub shop um so when you said about the carbonation when you started forced carving was that roughly the time when you first started going i want, hate to use the word but i'm going to into sort of into the craft market and did you start was that mobile canning did you have mobile canners coming in yeah so so initially we used them that can um as a we used a mobile canning line as um to do the, the majority of all that work but we were manning it manning the line with them so it's a quite close relationship with them um i think it, it's a difficult kind of um the the difference between like traditional and craft beer and 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 it's pedanticisms whether whether people want to say well it's it's more service method or anything it but yes three like the the kind of 2015 was when we first started force carbonating and making fizzy beer but before then we were always still doing a quite high hopped hopped beer there wasn't really a and and dry up in quite a lot so really the actual beers that we were making weren't too dissimilar from the beers that we are still making. It just happens to be now we've put them into a, a can or keg. So the actual process and the, the work behind that we're doing and the amount of attention paid to the, the, the wort and the, the beer and the end product, all that hasn't really shifted too much. Um, it's just... just a, a, a way of just phrasing more than anything else I, I see it as is um but yes the kind of craft thing um or keg thing that that was probably the kind of new step into as as more bars start started having and started having keg lines that were free of tie um which there weren't a great deal in Sheffield there weren't um, yeah there weren't many in Sheffield um at the time so having there weren't many producers either in Sheffield doing um, keg beer. So it was like we were kind of at the curve, we were at the, the kind of start of it for our local kind of market. Um, and again, that's what really mattered because we weren't sending a lot of beer away. Um, the scene in Sheffield is very much cast focused even now. 
so it's those things haven't really shifted too much it's just we've always had hoppy um lots of hops in in pale ales it just happens to be that net that at that point in 2015 that we were also making it fizzy for people and am i right in saying in terms of the that the range of beers that you offer under your fizzy craft banner are essentially so so they're the same name but with rotating hops and ingredients yeah so we well we have now that we've settled down on the on the core things we've got voyager um, and serenity which are now fixed recipes that they used to be rotating and they're now fixed into the into the hops that they are um but they did rotate for a bit but then um wanderer which we're gonna drink later or next um that changes slightly on beer style it really the focus is on abv uh, and we'll have that sitting above voyager which is 5.6 and this will sit in the six percents to i'm just checking the can of this one six to seven percent and then deliverance which is the higher ipa higher ipas that sits um above seven and a half but generally above eight eight percent um and then there's methuselah and um lost souls which are the imperial stouts and barrel aged imperial stouts so they're kind of themed oh and unbeliever which are the the sours um so they're more of a themed style and then things will change maybe a bit of the recipe will change then the 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 grist or the hops will always change you know there's always going to be some bits of change in those things but generally they'll be themed like in a certain ipa stronger ipa stout barrel aged stout sour um so yeah and let, let's just let's just pause and rewind a little bit there to deliverance and um certainly the most recent iteration of of deliverance which was the 100 minute hopped double ipa um which i've I've got to say jim you did a great job of getting me very excited on on the brew day of that beer um in terms of what you were doing i I mean not not wishing to blow smoke up your ass mate but that's a fucking cracking beer um absolutely incredible stuff a bit of a loaded question. Where did the inspiration come from for that bit? US, US. Um, <laughs> it's it's California all the way. Like the though it's bitter, piney, West Coast, like a little bit of like crystal. All that stuff is is what the the um southern west coast do of America do really, really well. And a and hundred minute hopped literally means you're, you're, you're adding hops to the boil every minute. Yeah. 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 So, so that must've been a, a lot of hops went into that beer. So our, um, the most, we, so we used a lot of pellets in that and our kettle can't really hold a lot of pellets. Or so I thought the most I'd put in the, in the past was about, four and a half, five kilos. And then we generally move all that work at the end of boil through our hot back where we'll use leaf and a bit of pellet hops. Um, but then there's a lot of filtering steps before we go, um, before we go through the, the heat exchange into the fermenter, but the filtering steps being we go through our old mash tun. So there's the mash wire, then there's a layer of 
um, a good layer of, of leaf hops, which are kind of really good for, for adding filtration, especially when you're adding a lot of T90s. But in the kettle, when I say we've, we, the most we'd ever added to the kettle was about five kilos, I added 17 um, over 100 minutes. And so it was like getting the absolute most of the 17 kilos, just steadily adding them um, in various weights throughout um throughout the boil quite a lot in late additions but also it was mainly focusing on getting all that kind of as much bitterness and as much flavor that we can do out of the hops early on because that's where you want from um on a west coast you want the layers of bitterness you want the layers of um of alpha acids and things that have been extracted all the way through that boil um to make it yeah just real bitter assuming there must be some some sort of sciencey stuff behind that because as, as, assuming that every hop going in at a different minute you're going to get a different characteristic because it's had either more or less time than the, the than the previous batches so was it literally a case of just your judgment and skill as a brewer saying right we're going to put this amount in now or, or did you know how the hops would perform based on when they were being put into the brew so we've got a little like we've got quite a bit of experience of when we, of of kind of when we know when we're adding hops what we're going to get out of them when we're going to get out of them but mainly that's to do with the late the later additions so like from a quarter of an hour to the end of the boil um but it was a case of just reading up at what pretty much everything and listening to all the like bits of podcasts that people have, that people like Firestone Walker have been on and, you know, the listening to a lot of other brewers that are far more, have far more expertise at hoppy beer than, than I do. Um, and listening to the way that they talk about it. And really it is just a case of, yeah, layering up those hops to get a different bit of compound, but also the more you boil, you more, more you boil hops, the more you lose in terms of aroma because they're so volatile they just end up out the chimney but you still get a lot of kind of residual oil suspended in the beer so it's you get different flavors depending on how long you boil hops for and it's keeping all that flavor intensity by adding hops at different points and yeah continually adding them all the way through you kind of get this real hoppy oily but then with a lot of aroma towards the end as well. Um, but not just like not like that sweet grassy aroma that you can get that's a, that's got loads of onion in it that you get if you just chuck loads and loads in the fermenter, like New England's. It certainly wasn't like that. It was an awesome beer. It really was. So I will blow smoke up your ass. <laughs> it was just, it was just <laughs> superb. And when Steve shared the tweet with me, um i said yes well how much are we getting so you know it, it was it really was good it really definitely put me in mind of the classics you mentioned and the obvious one which springs to mind is like the you know dogfish head 90 and 120 minute it had all of those characteristics and you know to come from a a, a uk brewery a brewery that's very much background is a local market traditional beers which is just such a a, a, a different way of working a different way of producing different output but 
I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It's it was way too sessionable for its ABV, Jim. So you are you are you are I'm holding you entirely responsible. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's probably fair to be honest. Uh, <laughs> um, we've no. got a, we're doing a, a 75 minute at some point. That's in the plan, but that'll be something similar. But there'll be more hot, probably about the same amount of hops. But you know, 75 minutes. But I really like the also through the boil is you get um, a lot of Maillard reaction, which is the kind of caramel um, sweetness that I think when you've got so much bitterness, so much hot presence, you do need sometimes that little bit of sweetness just to balance everything off because when the the final gravity, so the, the, the kind of end sugars are so low, um, so you've got quite a dry beer, you've got quite a lot of bitterness, you need some kind of perceived sweetness and those boiling for a long time gives you a lot of kind of caramel and nice kind of not quite as far as roasted but like burnt sugars that just really kind of work really well with the oily nature of everything yeah but i really enjoyed making that beer it was the brew house smelled amazing so jim in in terms of obviously you've got the you've, you've got the cask offering and you've got the craft the fizzy offering as as, as well now um you've also got and, and this is your little project, isn't it? The You've got the Funk Dungeon now as well, which is where you get to blend and use all sorts of ingredients that you would never imagine you, you, you could use in beer. Um, how did how did that come about? When when did you decide that that was going to get added and, and how much persuading did you have to do to, to be allowed to, to, to get on and, and, and run with that project? Um. It, it happened by stealth more than anything. Um, the when I first started, they had um, the brewery had and was just releasing a series of triples um, that were aged in seven um, French oak casks. So freshly refurbished French oak casks, then they'd add the triple in there for about six months, aged for different things. Um, we released it. And the barrel sat empty for a bit. Um, when I also when I first started, we had this thing called the signature series, which basically meant that pretty much anyone from the brewery, whether that was the pub side or the production side or any, could make pretty much any style of beer they wanted, as long as sales said that they could probably sell at least some of it. Um, and so we had a couple of people like. Um, Laura, uh, my wife, who works in the office, um, she made Lady Rara, which was like a a raspberry muffin beer. Um, and then we had a couple of other bits of some stouts and some hoppy things and things like that. We had a mixture of everything, but we didn't have anything that was sour and the brewery hadn't made anything that was sour. So I was like, well, let's make this mango kettle sour Dry helped with Galaxy. It's going to be good sales. How much should I make? I said um, a brew length, and it was like a half brew length. So I said, yes, all right, let's make that. And then when it came to package it and sell it, they're like, oh no, we can't, we can't deal with that much. So these barrels that were still lying around that that had the triple in, and um, was like, well, I can just 
I can move it somewhere if you want me to move it somewhere. I'll move it. And um, I bought some homebrew kind of quantities of bread. So just like a little vial of bread, like 15 grams, um, dose them into each barrel of this um, mango dry, galaxy dry hopped Berliner Weisse, um called Rango Mango that went into these barrels, into three of these barrels. We aged it in there. And then it was like six months later when they were about ready, they'd finished re-fermenting and they had a nice time. Um, I was like, right, we've got this breaded sour. You've got to sell it now. Um, also, I'm going to do more of this. And as I took these beers around, um, like six months after I'd and surprised them with all this now mixed firm, um I'm like, oh, this is quite this is quite nice. Yes, it is. Oh. Maybe maybe you should do a bit more of that. I already have. And I'd already started the next <laughs> round of things in those barrels that had now been inoculated with um with Brett and really since then, which is like 2016, we had um those Brett be- Brett barrels started. Um, they're still on the go. Those three barrels, they're still um, have they have saison in them at the moment, a Brett saison in at the moment. But we've had them on the go since then, um, chugging away quite happily. Uh, and since those three, the three first barrels that we had, we've now kind of got a mixture of like these French oak and the and some freshly emptied wine casks got some bourbon casks but in total we've probably got close to 60 barrels of a mixture of of sizes and volumes amongst that some um some ibc some containers that have got larger volumes of beer in so yeah we've got a real mixture that's kind of expanded steadily and gradually over the over the past uh, six years or so does, does Abbeydale know you've got 60 barrels or do you keep hiding them, Jim? Oh, there's a lot hidden. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just say, oh, I've, I've got these. Uh, oh, I found these. <laughs> uh, no, they, they all, they, they kind of know now and they have um, what used to be suspicion about what, what on earth I was doing to being, they now trust in the way that, that, in the things that I'm in the stupid ideas that I'm doing and the things that I'm doing. And, and, and so that's good. Um, but yeah. And as you mentioned, Steve, the ingredients wise is we've kind of gone from just using like those mango puree or pale ales that we were just whacking some nice wheat heavy beer in to um, recently we've, uh, we did a beer with um, little earth project where we used pineapple weed, which is like a foraged, um, a foraged herb similar to chamomile. We did a groot with a Spanish, bro- well, a Catalan brewery. Um, we made with mugwort and uh, heather flowers, and um, we've used lemon, lemon, lemon verbena. Like we just use nice bits of herb and nice bits of fruit and some good local malt really is where we're trying to go with it at the moment so yeah uh, it's just kind of gradually expanded and they've kind of given me probably a little bit too much trust in uh, <laughs> in doing what we're doing at the moment 
and that's also expanded to the point where <clears throat> there's now an annual festival as, as well. Bearing, uh, albeit the last two years have been kind of virtual-ish, um, but you've got the Funk Fest, which is, is has become kind of a, a, a celebration of UK wild sort of beer almost, hasn't it? Yeah, and that's that's what we intended to do with the first year, which was like, so this, as you said, this is the fourth one that we've just had um, a fortnight ago at the end of um, Halloween weekend. Um, so, yeah, we've had the fourth one. The first two were in-person festivals in the brewery. Um, where we could, so we, where we had 30 lines and a couple of bottle pours of um, all UK and um, an Irish um, mixed firm beer. And it was trying to showcase all this, this excellent stuff that's happening. Like at the, there's so many places that get kudos before us. And it's like, yes, there's so much tradition in Belgium, but you can see it all the time. You can always see Dreyfontein and you can always see um, Lindemans and you can get get these things, get some of them from supermarkets. You, what you There's always talk about, oh, there's these American imports. Oh, look at this. And it's a 35 quid bottle of beer, but we're doing it here as well. And it's like the, there's so many producers that are, that are just kind of, whether that's people who are just doing just making mixed fermentation beer like little earth project or people have just got it as a little side project and and it's only a little portion of what they do but they're doing it they're making mixed fermentation beer they're making aged sours but it's not and it's part of a passion and it's because and it's a showcase of what proper locality means and this is an expression, it's probably more of an expression of, of their, their brewery than their core beer is because the yeast is local or the fruit is local or, you know, there's people trying to express more what their brewery is about in mixed fermentation beer. And we just wanted to kind of harness that and show a bit more. And we did that on the first two, two years where we were able to have in-person festivals. Uh, and then last year we did uh, the funk fest at home um which was only online and then this year we did local pubs um and a couple of further field and we did do like funk fest across the city um with pubs and bars that would normally be involved on fringe events and showcasing sours anyway but we just tried to focus on them because we also felt that it might it's going to be really self-centered it's like come to our venue and ignore all the pubs we didn't really want to do that because we want to showcase and want, want to kind of give support to people who've not been able to have the support for um a year and a half so we were kind of trying to get a lot more people back into pubs and at least give them a different reason to go to them um but yeah, all in all, I think this year went went well, even though it was uh, slightly different to previous years. But that's what this year is anyway. So yeah, very very different to previous years. I mean, the Funk Fest. I have to admit, again, you know, you, you sort of tagged that on the end of what you already think you know about Abbeydale, and it is really, you know, it's beer output across three quite distinct markets or types of beers. 
um, types of styles because within each of those niches, say traditional, modern, and then the, the, the funk dungeon side, arguably you may be thinking about going to different markets, but equally you've probably built up a lot of love and trust in the brand that people are willing to say, oh, Abidal, I'll give that a go. I might not from someone else, but I trust them. So it's quite a balancing act, I would have thought, a lot of the time, especially for the sales guys, when you come up with one of your new, wonderful, out-of-the-way uh, recipes, and they're going to go, oh, what's Jim doing to us? I th- th- there is a bit of that, but I think there's part of it that over the years, we have gained some trust that what we're doing is still good, even if our, no- our normal, traditional drinkers um don't like it right now we're doing it because it's still good it's just not to people's tastes at the moment um and we try not really to separate those three groups of people because there are people who like pints of moonshine and also pints of deliverance uh responsibly pints of deliverance but you know there there are (laughs) there, there are that split of people that are really keen on pretty much everything that we put out and we don't want to separate people because it is still just all made on the same brew kit all by the same staff it just happens to taste slightly different so we did um our first event of uh, funk fest this year was at the rising sun which is our our pub um up in fullwood uh, in sheffield and oh generally the the punters aren't the the biggest sour beer mixed fermentation drinkers um they're quite price conscious so so our cast beer turns over absolutely always always drinking like plenty of 18s of uh, a moonshine and deception turnover there but it was really nice that this event we did a little food pairing um with with our some of our new mixed fermentation beers that we were just releasing for the festival and a little just a little food match um me and our laura did uh did the, the talk for it or introductions to all the beers and such but at the end when we went around just to see how everyone was we had three women who were one of them was a, a self-admitted non-beer drinker like i don't like beer but i liked those last two and for me it's that kind of drinker that are as important as the people who drink loads of the the best bitter. I want people who don't really know beer, who have always been put off by beer, to to see something different in the in the the sours, in the the funk drinks and stuff, because the flavour profile is not the same. Um, and so there are the the target is to try and just kind of expand and not exclude as many people as possible into drinking beers that we produce as a brewery. And that includes that that's going from having pints of best bitter and session pale to having still relatively low ABV things, but that taste closer to a, um, a wine or a cocktail, but that kind of have more similar flavor profiles to those things. And so you've got something to introduce, um, new drinkers to, um, but I think that's that's kind of just collectively over the over the time that we've been brewing as a brewery, 
we've gained that trust and we've got um, a lot of willing followers that we can have those things and we can serve them and we can um, get good feedback from a lot of people. Um, but yeah, it is to do with with kind of trust over the over the 25 years of brewing consistently that we're not doing something on a whim. We're doing something because we're brewing something and we're making something because we think it's good and we wouldn't put it out if we didn't. I do have one complaint about the show so far. I've run out of moonshine because it only came in a 440 can rather than a pint. <laughs> and can I just say, this is only my second can of moonshine and only my third drink of moonshine, Jim. So I had a can um, earlier on when it first came out in cans and I only had my first pint and it was sparkled. Good. Thanks to, thanks to, thanks to the Vic in Colchester. Um, in September. So I, you know, I've been able to do a contrast and I have to admit, this is one of those beers, which, um, and it's a review I often give, but if I hadn't had the cask version, the first comment I would have made was, Oh, I want to taste this on cask. Yeah. That's all it would give to me straight away is I need to taste this on cask, but it does a still a really, it does a really good job in the cat from the can still. Cause I think all, all you described at the start about that sort of, um, false carb, but not making it fizzy. It's got it has got a good head retention. It's nice and smooth. It's not trying to be too big and too clever. It's a very sessionable can, and I know that when I had it on cask, I thought exactly the same. But it is presented differently. But I could do an evening of starting on the cast and hitting the cans, and then hitting deception and then hitting the floor. <laughs> Sounds like a great evening. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm up for that one. <laughs> That's not tonight, though, because we've, we've got other beers to drink uh, this week, Martin. Um, we are going to move on to our second beer now. This is Wanderer, and, uh, well, Jim, t- tell us all about this beer. So this is um, citra hopped, lots of hops, um, a lot in kettle again as the um, 100 minute that uh, Steve mentioned earlier, not quite as many, but um, still around as bitter in terms of its IBU. So uh, 80 80 to 85 IBU calculated, as I I recall, um, fermented with uh, an American ale yeast, um, West Coast, hopefully keeping it clean, um, hoppy and bitter and I think really just kind of exemplifying what what citrus should taste like and can taste like let's try it cheers cheers tell you what the first thing that got me was the aroma that's lovely that's that's really delicious that is um it's like being punched in the face with an orange it, it it really is. It's got that kind of real citrus explosion that goes on. And then you do get kind of this pithiness in there. And that gives way to what is just a deliciously lasting bitter finish on, on, on the end there. Um, that's, that's stunning. That's, that's really tasty stuff. Yeah. I'm really pleased with, with the way that they've, they've kind of come on. And um, yeah, we've done a few more West coasts, on the on this series and on the deliverance series than we have done previously but i think we're we've we've worked a lot on our dry hopping which has helped with the new england stuff and we've kind of got better at that but i think now refocusing a bit on on the 
brew house side on hot side and getting the fermentation nice and clear and um um and just getting clean fermentation so both of those things kind of have helped so the dry hopping is um slightly different we've done it over two days again like we would do in a new england but not in a not during fermentation like you would do so yeah loads of aroma loads of bitterness lots of hops there's a real there's a lovely dankness to it as well right up front then like steve said that citrus explosion um which is wonderful but then that bitterness kicks in and just carries on and then you go i must have to have some more then and it just works so well. Was it six, six and a half percent? Yeah, yeah. That's that is that. I mean, that is good. I mean, it's not. As, I suppose it's got. Um, would you say it's got a little bit of a haze to it? It does have a little that... bit of a haze. Yeah, um, a little bit more than I perhaps want, but but not. It's not murk. It's it. That's um, kind of that's dry hopping more than it is um, lots of oats and stuff. It's got. Well, it's no different to the hot haze I associate with a kernel pale yeah. ale or a kernel India pale ale, mm. um, which was, you know, long before we started to get into to murk and juicy territory. That sort of hot haze was generally, if I get that, more than happy with that. Yeah. And ultimately, what I can smell, what I can taste, and the and the end of it all goes so well together. And it, I think, it, yeah, it just it really works, doesn't I it? I just really like bitterness and bitterness to, to keep on drinking is one of those things. You're not stuck with a bit of, with lots of cloying sugar. Um, it's just ready for another sip. Yeah, you're, you're, you're preaching to the converted on the, on this side of the Zoom screen anyway. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> While we're drinking this, uh, let's get into this week's question. Opinions, hop. Opinions, opinions, opinions. Which is, do you think that breweries should try to cater for traditional craft and niche markets in order to thrive and survive? So we had 346 votes, uh, 31.8% of people said yes, 68.2% of people said no. So from Swift Run Coaching, a Swift Run Coach, do one thing, but do it better than everyone else. Be incredibly niche. For Miles Lambert, it's a tough one to balance. I think breweries need their own identity. To a certain extent, the market will decide if that works or not. But I'm a believer that doing what you do well will get better results than trying to appease as many tastes as possible. From Ruth Mitchell at Beer Fairy, a no from me. Work out what you do well, be proud of it and champion it. There is nothing wrong with making excellent traditional beers and no need for every brewery to do everything. And from James, James Moosh, no, there are breweries that do very well only catering for a specific section of the market, and that's okay. It's obviously fine if they want to brew a broader range to widen appeal, but also fine if they don't. Dr. Goggles, it's a difficult balance to please both the craft and camera crowd. Few breweries manage it successfully. Probably best as a business to favour one market or the other. From Beyond the Pale at Jan Sutton 12, I've seen too many trad brewers try and fail miserably at producing good quality keg or niche beers. Similarly, many of the keg only brewers don't seem to be able to brew a traditional cask beer of sustainable quality. 
from James at Iron Pier. James, only if you know how to do all of those things, which very few do. Stick to what you're good at, or at least what you know. Had so many terrible New England IPAs from more trad breweries and some truly awful sweet malt-dominated bitters from craft breweries. From Andy Parker at Tamamatu, there's probably a lot of overlap between these markets, but it's a no for me. Better to carve your own niche and focus on, on doing what you can, the best you can. Quite a few similar comments towards the end there. Well, actually, throughout, there's a bit of a uh, bit of a theme of just stick to what you know and, and and do it do it quite well. And I think we were quite surprised in terms of where this poll went versus the question that we actually asked, weren't we, Martin? Yeah, I mean, I get the comments, but I expected at least one comment or a theme to develop where do what you're good at. But if you happen to be good at more than one thing, then carry on. And that hardly ever came out at all, which was quite surprised that, to be honest, because I thought that would be a natural thing. I mean, there are so, I think there are quite a few things to dig into here, but I reckon we should probably defer to our guest first of all. Jim, as a brewery who perhaps do traditional craft and niche, where's it, where does your... Where does your viewpoint come in on this question? And do, do you get do you understand where some of the comments are coming from? Oh yeah, I, I see where a lot, where pretty much everyone is coming from. They've all got valid points in this, and I think that uh, in terms of proper like traditional breweries, um, that being breweries older than than us, twenty five years, or older than Kellam Island, thirty years, like there's there's the breweries that are hundred years old when they try and do modern styles of beer, more often than not, they're woeful. Um, but then there's breweries that are new, that are kind of making really good, like this n- new wave of hazy pale ale. But when there's quite a few breweries who have tried to do cask beer or tried to do a bitter or an ESB, and that has also been woeful, and I've seen a lot of people trying to push, like, oh, this is great to see these breweries making making these beers. It's great that there's this new kind of forefront of uh, of celebrating um, traditional cask and traditional styles of beer on cask, but you've made it shite. So it's not necessarily great. And then there's the kind of middle ground, and I will always, like, we're in the, we, Abbeydale, are in the, the kind of middle in terms of age, like us and fine ales who have kind of sat in this kind of like they're 15 years old, led to 25 years old, but they make canned beer um, and bottled beer and make Imperial stouts. They make barrel aged Imperial stouts. They make, they've got the origins project, uh, a full mixed fermentation beer project. And they kind of encompass that they make farmyard beer, but they've always made farmyard beer because they're on a farm yard um but they also now make mixed fermentation farmyard beer that that is really really good but there are very few breweries in the uk that are kind of do all those things and so kind of i agree with that there's quite a few people who who like it's difficult to kind of encompass all the things and do them reliably now i don't believe that we are but we're not regarded in terms of making the absolute pinnacle beer of anything in the UK uh, as, as the brewery. But I think what we do do is consistently really, really good. And that's where 
and that's that's across all the styles of beer that we make. But that's my own personal opinion. I'm always going to fight our corner on that. But yeah, no, I think that's, I think personally, where I think I saw some of the comments comments coming from is where there's also, like you said, there's been bad experiences. And I think when we talk about those old older breweries, a hundred years, we're talking often about the regional, the family brewers, where someone in their marketing or sales has said, look, we really need to get on board with this new style, this new fad. They try it and you are right. Nine times out of 10, so many of them just get it so wrong. It just puts me off everything they do. Um, one or two do, do, do it well. But equally, you are right. Cask isn't something you can just flick a switch and suddenly be a master of cask. So... I, I think there's probably been some of those elements coming in as well. And yet, equally, I don't think even if you were the best one in the world, it's going to be that easy. I think if you hadn't name-checked fine, that was probably the only other brewery I could think of who are so well-known and so loved for their cask beer, primarily Yarl, obviously. But equally, they go into small pack. The, orange, the Origins beers have been very good as well. And they've got the foraging. They are on a farm. They tick quite a few boxes these days, I would I would argue, um, similar to yourself. So, but yeah, I still come back to that thing that if you can do it and you can do it well, I don't know why. And if you can sell it above any, above all, you know, it's all very well doing it. You can't get it out to market and people aren't willing to pay for it. It's a different matter. I am more than happy for breweries to be able to do a variety of things if they can still deliver on it and do it well, even if one or two of the beers they ultimately put out aren't going to be to my liking. I would also throw, there's two other breweries that I have thought about, but only recently, just now, is that Roosters have started doing um, small small bottles of Saison in barrel fermented Saison um, alongside all their excellent cask and um, um, keg and canned beer. And Fierce, who have had um, a mixed firm barrel project for quite a while, um, they don't. I've not seen much of uh, much of theirs recently, but we had them at Funkfest year before last. So, but yeah, I, I really can't think of many other breweries in the UK that kind of encompass a large mixed firm barrel project and all the things in between. I don't think Fierce do that much cask either, so I might be wrong in saying that anyway. But, yeah. Steve, where do you sort of um, sit on this one? You sort of prefaced it by saying it went off in a slightly different direction, but where, where would you, if you could vote, which obviously you can't as you put the poll out, where would you have gone and what would your comments have been? I I think, first first of all, some, some really interesting points that you both brought up there, and I'd, I'd agree with what you've both said in terms of, I, I think there's only a handful of breweries that that I can actually think of in, in the UK that do successfully brew a, a number of different styles of, uh, of beers. I, I think if, if we're throwing names into a hat, you could potentially add Burning Sky in, in there in, in terms of their cask and their modern beer and also the mixed fermentation. Maybe wild beer as, as well, though you don't tend to see a lot of cask from 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 wild beer um so i don't i don't think there's a lot of breweries that that do it well 
I think coming back to your question, Martin, in terms of where would I have voted, I think I would have gone for for, for yes. But I, I think, as, as I said, what 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 I said earlier was it, it went in a different way from what we expected. So we asked the question with essentially with Abbey Dow in mind as, as being one of the breweries that do very successfully cross those three divides. Um, but the comments did take it off in a different direction of, I, th- I think people said, well, took, took the view of, well, should people be doing th- this? Should, but should they be trying to cater for all markets? And I think if, if I had commented, it would have maybe been similar to some of the comments in there in, t- in terms of if, if you can do it and you can do it well and you can sell the beer and the market wants it, most importantly, your local market wants it, then why would you not do it? Because you're going back to Jim's earlier story about the the, the two women at the end of the, the, the tasting session who enjoyed the two beers they thought they would never have tasted. Had you not made those beers, those, those two women maybe would never have got to try those beers and maybe hadn't, would never have started their beer journey sort of thing as, as a result of that. So I think if, if you can do it, why, why would you not do it? Well, yeah, I think that that's the yeah, and Burning Sky are, are one of those breweries as well, which which are doing something, but they they kind of always Mark always set up to do that. So rather than say the way that we we grew that is steadily growing and testing waters, tested a lot of waters just to see whether things would work, and that started off with testing it with with the even with Keggy, um, and finding whether it was worthwhile investing in all the kit and gradually expanding into these things. But then, and I think also we probably missed out Thornbridge as well, who also have a big barrel aging and sour project. But then part of that was probably forced on them by Garrett Oliver um, with the Serpent project. And it was like, yes, you need to do a little project for Brooklyn, a fucking huge project for Thornbridge. And it would, that uh, so many barrels um, of from Oliver's and so they now have an established barrel project because of but because they'd probably sell it all because it was going to be a, a Brooklyn collaboration and it was going to be pushed around the world but then what they've gone from there is they make some excellent mixed fermentation beer um, but then we see kind of breweries and yeah I don't know and then wild beer as you mentioned as well they were kind of all, but they were set up to also make mixed fermentation beer from the beginning. Yes, yeah, so there's probably very, very few. That's, I mean, that's quite a good point. Again, there's probably very few that have done the cask. Let's go cask, fizzy, niche, as in like saisons, funky, that kind of stuff. Um, there's probably very few have actually pivoted in that direction and brought in those kind of elements. I mean, Thornbridge is probably quite a good example. I mean, good point made though. Um, you know, we'll do a little project for Brooklyn. Oh my God, this is enormous for Thornbridge. But now we've got them, we might as well use those barrels. And, you know, I think me and Steve have commented in the past about Thornbridge's, uh, one of their recent ones, Mind Games in the gin. You know, the, some, some of the stuff they're doing is excellent. And yeah, it goes under the radar, maybe a little bit for them. Yeah, there's not many who've probably done it in that way. And I can't think of many. Like, say, other breweries have started 
with that as their reason for being and then had done other bits. Whereas Abidale was very much cask, traditional beer styles, but obviously making them as modern as possible, you know, based on, you know, experiences from, from Kellam Island, for example, that kind of stuff. But you then gone cake, fizzy, cans, new beers, new styles. And then by, by, by stealth on your part, Jim, you've, you've brought in this, this, this funk dungeon element as well. And again, the branding's very different as well. It goes from the, the moonshine branding, the craft branding, and then we get the funky side of it. So it's, it's, it's a lot of different elements that have been juggled by one brewery who essentially half, half their output is one beer, which is still considered one of the pinnacles of modern cask. So as a balancing act, it's not a bad going. Yeah, I think we, we do it all right, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's hard work, and and and, but you still have to focus on everything being as good as it can be, and also push boundaries, even if they're just boundaries for us personally, as a, well personally and and as a as a business, as a brewery. So it's like, yeah, we need to always be looking forward at how do we improve and change our processes, but also how do we get some of those flavors that people are talking about and whether that's on the kind of um new england side of things or the heavily fruited side of things which you don't tend to go down anyway the, in terms of shitloads of fruit but yeah it, it's trying to trying to push the boundaries that we have and that and as far as our customers will accept those boundaries to be pushed um there's no way that we could suddenly um, instantly sell out of shitloads of 13% tipper or like 13% like um, barrel aged sour. Those things don't go, we wouldn't instantly sell out of all those. So we need to kind of drip, like find the release points and find the, how we sell and market it those. And, and yeah, and everything has to come hand in hand with, with the branding with the marketing, with the production, with the sales team. And we all kind of need to be on board with this idea being not stupid and over the top, but still being and still being good. But then at the end of the day, the beer needs to taste good because otherwise what's the fucking point in making it? Because of some of the processes that you've you've learned with some of the craft stuff and some of the uh, funk dungeon stuff, but ultimately that also benefits your how you make your traditional beers as in honing your talents as brewers and working with the equipment you have well yeah i think it's just the 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 process of of the process of making any beer and a specifically a different kind of beer that we've not made before does transfer down to the other things that we are doing um the, the more you brew things that are outside of your comfort zone, the more you learn. The more you do things wrong, the more you know. Um, and you can't go into you can't go into any part of life thinking you know it all. So when you get into brewing the same thing over and over again, you get consistent, you get complacent. You're like, this is just the process, and this is how it how it does. This is this is what it is. Whereas when you make something, go go think about making something different with a different process. You're like, well, maybe I could do. 
maybe that'll change. Maybe I could do this bit different. Like, so doing new things informs old things. It's it's clear that Abby Dow, at, at the heart of what you do, are your customers, and you you understand what your customers are looking for. So whether that's the consistency of moonshine so they can get pint after pint that that, that tastes exactly the same or, or whether that's some of the exploration that you've done with the modern beers that are maybe going out, they're appealing to a different audience that are buying your beers in cans online and they're enjoying them at home right up to the things you're doing in the funk dungeon where you're, you're you're pushing the boundaries of using different ingredients and yeasts and seeing how things react with one another to create additional flavors but what it all comes down to is is is, is that you as a brewer and Abbeydale as a brewery understand those different customer bases yeah and um, and that's it because at the end of the day we make beer we make a drink the drink has to be drunk by someone and that has to be drunk by someone who enjoys it. It don't, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of steps in between, but it's how do we make it better for the end consumer? How do we get them into enjoying what they're doing, enjoying what we're making? Um, I've, I mean, I, to me, that uh, Wanderer was so easy to drink, but again, so different to the Moonshine. Really well balanced, which I, I I feel balance and consistency are definitely for a lot of the produce that you put out there is definitely key to what uh, Abbeydale want to do. I just found that so easy. And then after a while, even that bitterness started to be a bit more gentle in its feeling. And if I'd been at a, a bar or a tap room and that was on, I could quite easily just go and I'll have another one, please. So yeah, that, that, that just went and, it just worked so well. And that um that little bit of body, that hot haze, probably stopped me from necking it just a bit too fast as well. So thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, at 6.5%, that could end up being a little bit on the dangerous side, couldn't it? If 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 that wasn't there. But yeah, yeah, really delicious stuff. Really enjoyed the wanderer. Um, lots of great comments this week. Uh, as usual, we didn't have time to read them all out, um, but there will be a link in the show notes to that question. If you want to click through and have a look at what everyone said, you can do that. Make sure you use the hashtag opinions and continue to get involved in this discussion. Let's move on to our final beer of the evening. So continuing our journey through what uh, Abbeydale produce, we've done the traditional, we've done the modern, and now we're doing the damn right scary from (laughs) my perspective. Uh, Jim, introduce the final beer that we're drinking this week, please. Uh, So this is, um, we're drinking Glory Glory, which is um, a pink peppercorn saison that we brewed with um, Lily at uh, Queer Brewing um, and Michael and Heather from Out and About. So Queer Brewing, you may well have heard of before, you may well have heard of before, who were um, LGBTQ kind of focused um, brewery based down in London. Um, They don't have their own brewery, but they're making some interesting beers at the moment. Um, Well, some great, classic styles of beer but they're they're kind of raising awareness and raising kind of position on shelves um with the word queer in supermarkets which is fucking great um and out and about who are local 
to Sheffield. So Michael, um, who is has been working in pubs and managing pubs in, in Sheffield for a long time and is soon to be working at um, The Crow in Sheffield, which is the sister pub to um, the Rutland Arms. So yeah, we made this beer with those two. We did this beer specifically, this um, the Glory Glory, made as a party guile, a split batch with the unbeliever grapefruit, the Schefferhofer that we made in um, uh, April. So we brewed it in April. Um, half of it went to kettle sour and then to blend with um, lots of grapefruits, uh, grapefruit puree to sell pretty sharpish as the grapefruit rattler. And then this, the rest of this was barrel fermented in some bourbon casks um, with flavoured with like two kilos or so of um, pink peppercorns that we toasted on site. Um, late additions with, I can't remember what hops, I think there might have been green bullet. Some aged hops though. Um, then fermented, re-fermented with our house yeast in barrel um, before sitting in barrel from April to the middle of, what month are we on? The middle of October. So um, I'll let someone else do those maths of months. But in that period of time, re-fermented in barrel um, with our house cultures. And we get a nice little bit of, nice little bit of barrel and a bit of sour and some spice. All I can say, Jim, it's it that- It smells delicious. Our listeners are just, although Steve had just said it smells delicious, our listeners just <laughs> want to know what face Steve is going to pull off the back of that description. So should we get into this one? Yes, I think we should. Let's, let's do Cheers. it. Cheers. Steve. That's harsh. <laughs> Come straight to me <laughs> while, I'm, while I'm still trying to process what, what's going on in my <laughs> mouth right now. Um, well, hmm. first of all, I, I didn't see a, yeah. what we like to call the, the Steve sour face. There's, there's, there's no sour face. Right, so that's um, a start, a positive start. Yeah. What I mean... This isn't a beer, oh, I don't know, say even three, two or three years ago. This is not a beer you would have picked up, is it, Steve? No, not 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 ever. This is this isn't a beer that I would ever choose to drink. Um, it's 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 just not not in the style. Um, although saying that, I do enjoy a saison, and I have found myself particularly over 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 recent years beginning to enjoy the the, the characteristics of of a saison and. I think for me, that's there. There's. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't have the words to describe what I've just <laughs> tasted. I, I, I really, I really don't. There is underneath it all. There's a saison. Yeah, I'm getting a real white wine, Chardonnay vibe going on. So there's a mixture. There's a bit, little bit of spice, and there's some hibiscus in there, and there's um a reasonable amount of oats. Um, and then it was aged in. I think there's a little bit of vanilla which comes from the like american oak that was that was aged in but i think there's that bit of sweetness like this beer's dry um its final gravity is really low so but it's still quite it feels a bit sweet to me and i think that just comes from the like some 
vanillins that that are present in the barrel. But yeah, it, I, I don't quite get wine, but I don't get white wine. But there is a little bit of vinegar in there that kind of, or not vinegar, a little bit of acid in there that kind of lifts it, that maybe is reminiscent of. I mean, you're right about that sweetness. There's like a really initial sweetness and the aroma is lovely. It just, I mean, it's a real summer type aroma, but there is so much going on. And do you know what? That The peppercorn is just so subtle. I mean, the way you were describing it and the fact that it takes a bit front and centre on its um, description of the beer, I was expecting that pepperiness to come through pretty much all the way through, but it's it really is, well, I find it quite subtle anyway, and it's just sort of there, hanging deep in the background. It's it's works. It's I think Steve's right. There's a lot of words I think I have in my head, but I can't quite <laughs> get them out. Yeah, there's a lot of flavours. Uh, it's just what those flavours taste like. But I think there is, um, it's that covering of the mouth, and there is a, a around the mouth, there is a lot of um, prickle, almost a little prickle going on, which is what I think is the is the peppercorn. I think I can. I think I can relate to that now. Then, because I was getting. I I generally don't do a lot of uh, heat or spices or flavour <laughs> in 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 my food. I am I am very very beige. Um, but at the at the end of that, at the back of that, I was getting something at the back of the mouth and the the, the back of the nose. So it's so coming up into the nose that that felt like a little bit of heat. And, and that prickliness that you were describing. And I I wanted to put that down to the, the, the pink peppercorns, but I've got no point of reference because I don't know what a pink peppercorn tastes like. Um, yeah, the pink peppercorns are like a more floral black peppercorn, but they have that little prickle um, that isn't, isn't massive, um, and it isn't massive in this, but it just kind of, covers the mouth slightly and i think in this uh, it's just kind of there there is no there's just so much going on with that beer really is um and the uh i mean the artwork and the design on this is just i mean really paints a picture and it's definitely set in the funk dungeon world but um I'm just wondering, I mean, when you were doing this beer, was your, was your, is your music part of this beer as well? Are we tasting your music in here, Jim? So there is, there's always some, some music in this. In, in the, more often than not, there's going to be some, some music names. While it, while it isn't necessarily on the label, this kind of vaguely um, Joan of Arc-esque um, riding into battle on the, on the back of a, of a skeleton but really, the, the name Glory Glory comes from um, an album by a band called Vile Creatures, who are a Canadian um, kind of he like really heavy bits of black metal, bits of sludge, bits of but really good, um, amazing band that, that both me and Lily really like. Um, but that it's difficult to, to encourage people. I'm not going to encourage people to listen to it, but if you want to listen to some really good fucking doom, then uh, Glory, Glory, Apathy Took the Hel Helm is the name of the full name of the album. Um, but it's... But they're a... Um, they're a two, like, two non-binary people, and it felt right to have something that was 
related to the community that we're trying to support in terms of the name. Um, and so all of those things kind of felt right. They made some fucking great music and it, and they, yeah. So yeah, it's just the heavy music generally is the stuff that we want to, that I will put into but it my all, labels. It all comes together with this beer, with what you were trying to do. And I mean, there is, there is just literally so much going on in this beer that I'm, I think I'm still processing as, <laughs> as we continue to chat. <laughs> I've, I've got one more question about the can. Actually. Yeah, sure. Um, I've heard of IBUs. <laughs> what's, what's an IGU? It's the International Goat Unit. It's um, um, a non-recognised, uh, but <laughs> will soon be. I will put it's part of my, my lifelong goal, uh, is, is to get the International Goat Unit, the level of um, funk in a beer to be recognised. Um, so we kind of base our... It, we go. We kind of go. What do we do? Um, green to red in terms of levels of funk. Um, how much? Um, whether it's loads of acid, whether it's loads of um, barrel character, whether it's loads of um, barnyard, the the kind of Brett flavour. We'll try and put that onto a scale. Um, and yeah, I think for this, for us, when we tasted it, it was kind of medium low. Our Sheffield Red, which is our um, barrel aged um, red ale that's been, that some of it's three years old, it's kind of emulates the, the Flemish Red, but it's nowhere near. I'm not going to, I'm not making Flemish style beer, I'm not making Lambic. It's too much effort for anyone. Um, but that is kind of more up towards the the red end. So we kind of have a little bit of a range of um, intent, flavour intensity more than anything else. And so, yeah, the IGU is, um, yeah, the International Goat Unit. I, I can get on board with that. I could get behind that. That that would certainly help someone like me that I, I, I struggle with the more acidic, type sour beers I, I literally have to do them with a gaviscon chaser so to to have that something like that on the can that gives you an idea of, of of the level of funk that you can expect from it i personally i love that maybe that's what the because... g should stand for is gaviscon you, mean, you might have to get an international gaviscon how many yeah. Yeah. how many you need yeah. and, and you have the little diagram of how many little tablets you need <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Until you get to a, py yeah. a pyramid of uh, yeah, <laughs> Jim. I'm assuming that when you first started in um, beer and brewing, that was was it always your intention to want to brew the, the the funky stuff, or did you start off just being quite happy experimenting with some home brews? What what's what's your beer journey been before you came into Abbeydale? So I was. <sighs> Always drinking Abbeydale beer, probably the first pints, the first under, underage pints of beer that I drank when I was probably 16 were pints of moonshine because I, I lived, my parents lived around the corner from the brewery, but obviously there isn't brewery tap, so lots of pubs have it on anyway. But like I lived really close, um, always drunk beer, but because kind of, encouraged to drink beer made made beer at university because it was cheaper started writing about beer both me and laura were writing about um 
whiskey mainly. Um, but then kind of as we were writing and talking and kind of thinking about other things outside of our, what were then real jobs, like our kind of postgraduate jobs, both hating working in education. Um, I was working in a school, uh, the music, a music technology department, hated it. Um, and so I need to get out. And so ended up applying to every brewery within like 30 miles of my house in Sheffield, got a job 29 miles from my house. Um, so commuted to Nottingham every day, went from being a sad boy to being a tired but happy boy. Um, and I think that really kind of changed the way that I thought about work specifically. So I enjoyed doing it and there was shitloads of manual labor, but I was, I was tired at the end of the day, but in a good way. And I was feeling kind of happy about what I was doing within. I was really fortunate for the brewery I worked for, which was blue monkey um, in Nottingham, who were a mainly who were a cask and bottle brewery um, at the time. And they needed a they needed a brewer because there were only two people brewing. They were brewing five days a week, and their brew process was slow and long. Both, um, and so they kind of just needed another body to come in and help, and it meant that I could come in at. So I started work at five o'clock, but I had to commute to Nottingham. So it was like I got up at at four o'clock in the morning to go to work, but I was still happy coming home. And I was brewing within two months, which really I bypassed a lot of the the kind of steps. I didn't need to do a lot of work on um, cask washing, only cask washing. I did a lot of cask washing, but I wasn't just focused only on one job. So I just kind of fell into a, a I was the a, a puzzle piece that they needed. Um, and then within that period of time, as I say, like Laura was also unhappy at work and then a job came up at Abbeydale. She applied for that and got that because they wanted someone that was like Pat and Sue wanted someone that was not just standard admin person. Um, she was had gave offered far more than what an office manager was or what they were applying for was an office manager. So Laura ended up taking that. And then in that period of time, one of the brewers left from Abbeydale. So I ended up, or Sue was like, uh, Laura, do you want to work with your husband? Was the first question. And then <laughs> within that period of time, it's, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really, I went in and kind of did a, an, an interview with Pat, Sue, Pat, Sue and John. Um, uh, so John's the production manager, Pat and Sue are the owners of the brewery. Um, and yeah, and ended up working there, taking over from, from someone who just left. And ended up just kind of, yeah, been there ever ever since over the past six years or so, and it's been been great. Um, but really, it's just like this kind of working up from where I was, um, being sad in a shit job, to being um, happy in a in a hard job, but still really rewarding, really good, and it and work for a, an employer that kind of does a lot for you, so they pay you through. Um, the exams, so did the um, GCB, 
which is the general certificate in brewing, which is like um, A-level level. Um, and then they're putting me through the diploma, which is a postgrad. Just sat and completed, well, I sat it a long time ago, just got the results back, which is for the first unit, which has been good. Um, but yeah, they pay and they're happy to pay because in previous lives, Pat and Sue had been um, um, academics and they just really want everyone in the company to learn and to be part of it. And that's the sales team as well. That's everyone who wants to to study it. They're, they'll they'll encourage everyone to do it. So yeah, it's really good company to work for. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of as soon as I started there, it was like this kind of fits really nicely. I don't have to drive 50 minutes to Nottingham. I can walk 15 minutes to work. That, that, that's quite quite the journey that, that, that you've been on there in, in, in terms of recognising that you were unhappy what you were doing, having an idea of where you wanted to go and then making it happen. Outside of brewing, you're also a very, very active runner as, as well, aren't you? And to, to the point where... I'm amazed at how you fit in all the running around all of the the, the, the brewing that you do as, as as well. Has has running always been um, a passion of yours uh, alongside the brewing? So so the way that the job is, my job at work has changed. It's like it used to be spend a couple of days a week racking casks, um, where you'd spend all day doing fifty barrels of cask, forty barrels of cask, which is like two hundred casks. So it's like I used to have a lot of physical work, but the way that my job has changed and doing more with a funk dungeon, my I've been moved away and spread around a bit. So I've done less physically at work. And in that time, so that was probably three years ago, in that time I've started running more. But then lockdown happened and really I started running for my own mental health and to improve my mental health. And it really helped both me and Laura started going out more because the other one was going out running and I think that's really the key is we both had someone just to we, we both were like one of us would have been let's go for a run and we would do and so we both pushed ourselves to do more and do more and do more and in that period of time just appreciated outside more and being in Sheffield we're so fortunate that being like we've got a city and we also are 10 minutes from being in the Peak District. And that is that is the kind of running I enjoy. It's just, they're, they're long, I, I do long walks, but they just happen to be a bit faster. And like that's, I just, being in the outdoors and seeing, I see lots of green, or even if I go from a house, I like over the, the kind of lockdown period where you could only go from your door, found woods that I've never been to before. I've lived in Sheffield all my life and I've not been to a woods that are like three miles from my house. And now I know them like the back of my hand. And that's all down to being able to run them. And I think it's more, it's more about my mental health than it is about my physical health. Obviously in that period of time, my, my physical health improved which probably goes some way to improve my mental health, but really I'm running for my head and I'm running for that. And it's, it's improved me no end. Um, but yeah, and then it's got to the point where I've um, signed up to the, the end of November. I'm 
running my first ultra marathon, which um, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how much I hate that. As, as you <laughs> do, you just you, you just 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 go from enjoying running to doing an ultra marathon. I mean, I thought you know I followed your your running exploits. We were talking off air before we started about the day you did like two races because you signed up for them ages ago with all the difficulties of putting races on they decided to put them together and probably quite naturally assumed that someone wouldn't would just make a choice i'll either do the half or i'll do the 10 and k and you thought oh, well i'm gonna do an ultra in a few weeks anyway so i'll just do both on the same day and have a little break in between so you know I, you are obviously quite up for challenging yourself as well so it's not just about it's, it's moved on, hasn't it, from that mental health and physical health aspect to wanting those new challenges as well. I think, that, yeah, that there is a bit. Of, that there is that. And it's like, like I, I, I'm never going to be a fast runner. I'm never going to be speed because I'm, I'm not built for it. Also, I don't want to give up what I eat. I don't want to, like, I've got a sustainable weight and that's fine. I don't want to not eat things because I don't want to, and I don't want to not drink things because I need to give up something to get fast. Whereas I can get my body to a point where it can kind of run for six hours. And that's the kind of, and then it's, then it's working against my and with my head. So it's those kind of challenges that I am more inclined to be looking at rather than speed with running and I think also with with work as well it kind of goes hand in hand it's just like trying to want to work hard and want to try and push things that I just want to try and push myself where I can do um but yeah I think that's that's the kind of thing at the moment is just aiming for um aiming for a real challenge and that's where I've, I've got one at the moment. Oh, yeah, no, you definitely have. And so just for the benefit of everyone listening, how far will this challenge be? So you're saying six hours. So how far are you actually aiming to run? Um, it's only a small ultra. <laughs> it's only, it's only 50K, um, oh, well. which is 31 miles. Yeah. I, but I'm, I'm expecting just to have a nice day running through the White Peak. Like I'm running back from... Ashbourne, um, back to Edale. Like, it's going to be a lovely day. I'm going to run. I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat lots of food. And um, for the two days prior, I can eat fuck loads of pizza. And so between that, fuck days pr- eat loads of pizza and the couple of days after I can eat loads anyway. So it's like... It could be horrendous weather, Jim, for 31 miles. It, it could you- be, but I've got waterproofs. <laughs> And you're sitting here just grinning from ear to ear talking about it, which I think just shows how wonderful it can be when people find that that particular release. So, you know, for you and I, it is running. Steve loves his cycling. And I know that plenty of our, our listeners also have that release that they really enjoy, whether that be running, cycling, walking or other. I do. I, I think it's so valuable. It takes you away from it. it takes you away from everything. And I think that's that's such a, a value of those kinds of activities, and the challenging yourself. And I, I get exactly what you're saying. 
Well, we know what's next for you, Jim, which is the the, the ultra marathon. What's um what's next for Abidal? What's and anything on the cards in terms of any further expansions, any further birthday celebrations? Because we're coming coming to the end of the year now. Um, I, I know you've had a series of special releases throughout the year. Is is there anything else planned? What's what's next for the brewery? So really, I think the aim is now is to get through get get through Christmas. It's always massive through Christmas, no matter what you do. Is um, especially with cask beer, like all the pubs are busier, and it's it's a really good. There's no point in releasing stuff over Christmas because it just gets lost. Um, so, the I think the aim is really we we haven't been this year been able to do our 25th birthday celebration as we'd want to. We're hoping that we can. Um, there's the local cinema towards the Indie Beer Feast have their festival in that Jules organises their festival in but I think we should we might be doing one or two events next year hopefully one of those is a birthday and hopefully we'll try and get an in-person a proper um, Funk Fest beer festival um maybe a day maybe two days we're still kind of thinking about it but certainly halloween weekend for funk fest so there's those things and then there'll be the continual specials that we're, we're kind of releasing but really we'll be trying to focus on doing a bit more where we can do um there'll be some more expansion um but there might be the boring expansions like um There'll be some some behind the scenes work that needs to happen, but yeah, I think generally it's just kind of keeping on going, keeping on the trajectory that we're already on, um, improve the way that we um, package and sell our beer as the way that we always have done, and just keep on going. I think, but we want to keep on engaging with with customers and and with people, and so and that's something that we have missed. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll get we'll get a birthday. Um, birthday thing and maybe we'll get um some fest which is our what was our annual beer festival um at the rising sun hopefully we'll get that next year but again there's so many things up in the air at the moment and it's very difficult to predict but there should be some festivals at least whether that's um just the birthday um or whether that's funk fest or whether it's both or whether it's some fest There'll be things happening. <laughs> It'd be great if you can celebrate the 25th, though, even if it's a belated yeah. 25th. It would be cracking if you can get an in-person event that you're all happy to hold. Let's assume all other things being equal, because um, it'd be a real shame to let that that Silver Jubilee go past. Yeah, and, and I think the, the aim will be to, as soon as, like, early-ish on in the year is trying to get something early in the on on in next year get some specials up get like we have done when we've done the openings in the past we did some single cask stuff we did some keg specials um and we brewed some big like brewed last rites again in previous years so last rites of barley wine you know we'll try and we really will try and do do something and i think it is important and it's really kind of up there in, in the things that we want to do um so hopefully early next year we will have an event to celebrate the birthday. 
Sounds good to us. Yeah, and we'll include links in the show notes to uh, everything Abbeydale. So if you're not already following Abbeydale on the socials, you can follow them to keep up to date with these events and what's coming up in the future. Before we uh, sign off, let's get some final thoughts on the glory glory. Um, Martin? Well, mine's almost finished, to be honest. And, you know, I, I am still getting that slightly wine-like quality, but I am also getting what you were saying, Jim, about it, co- it sort of going around the whole mouth and that little bit of prickliness. It's almost like a, it almost coats the mouth as well. Um, but it definitely is one of those beers which... I, I, on a, on a really nice day, even it may be even a bit more chilled to start off with. I think you would just quite happily go into this and almost forget about the descriptor and just have it blind. And I don't think you'd even think about some of the descriptors we've talked about. I think it's really well balanced, really good. I just, I do think that people go, oh my God, pink peppercorn. This, um, I'm drinking mine probably a little bit slower than the, the, the Martin. I, I will say it's it's probably not really up my street. Um, I'm enjoying it. Not sure I'd, I'd, I'd drink it again, if, if I'm honest. Uh, that's that's obviously no reflection on, on, on you, Jim, whatsoever. That's more reflection on me and, and my very limited palate that, that, that goes with, with, with drinking the beer. But if, if, if you're into this sort of thing, I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure you'd love it like Martin is. No, I'm genuinely love it. This is almost gone. So can we We need to move on. Oh, I would just like to say at this point, um, Jim, thank you so much for giving up your evening um, to, to spend with, with us talking about the brewery, talking about these beers. Thank you also for your generosity and not only giving us three beers that were featured on the show tonight, but a bloody great case of beers <laughs> to enjoy, uh, which, which Martin and I will be working our way through over the next couple of weeks. And, and again, just the variety within that case just, just shows what, what Abbeydale really has to offer. Uh, at the moment it does it does really span all of those different types of beer and it, it does really cross that divide um so we really appreciate you coming on thanks for joining us on the show uh oh bonus cat as well <laughs> brilliant it's just a, a little uh <laughs> <laughs> a little shouty boy just to, to crop in at the end. <laughs> wants to get involved. Uh, Martin, what's coming up on the next show? Well, we're, do- we're going to do some um, toast collaborations. I Listeners will know that I went to the launch a few weeks ago, the companion series. I had bought the box and I have very kindly decided that the only person I can share a number of these beers with is Steve. And we're going to hopefully do this in person and actually share a range of the beers from the companion series. So really looking forward to that. I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well, because um, some of the beers that you were talking about sounded really tasty. And when you gave me free reign to choose a number of beers from the box, it just so happened I chose all the beers that you tried on the <laughs> evening, um, which which probably says about a lot about you and I and our tastes more than anything, mate. But I'm very much looking forward to that. Before we get to that show, I do just want to mention again to our listeners, we are still running the listener survey there's a link in the show notes for that that's going to be live until the end of november thank you so much to everybody that's taken the time to complete that so far and with that i once again jim thank you for joining us this evening it's been great to share some beers with you it really has been great listening to you talk uh, about abby dow and your journey um and long may it continue and i'm very much looking forward to the uh, 75 minute deliverance when it's available <laughs> but yeah thank you for having me no, it's been great Cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers.